second. Kids, the reason I kept you in here, children's church, usually we have a little mini message for you and send you off. But I want you to know there are young adults who are not just in it for themselves, who are doing something to make a difference for God, who love the Lord with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, were willing to put themselves at risk going to a foreign country and a, um, a Muslim country at that. And uh, I'm so proud of them for doing that. And I want you kids, sometimes your heroes are, uh, you know, people in sports or people on the movie screen. But these three people up here ought to be some of your heroes. So that's why I wanted you to be in here today. So let's give them a hand, okay? Let's give them a hand. God bless you guys. I love you. Amen. I'm proud of them, and I'm proud of you because, and I think it was three weeks or under three weeks, we raised $9,000 to pay for the trip in two weeks' time. So uh, I'm proud of all of you as well. Okay, kids, you ready to go to church? Over this way, all of you who are heading out to your classes, go on. And thank you so much, Team Jordan, for giving us that great report, and I'm sure we'll hear more about that later on. Looking forward to it. Why do I believe that there is a God who is a loving God and yet allows suffering to occur? Job 5, 7 says, a man that is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. How many have ever been by a bonfire? Just about everybody. You notice how the sparks fly up? So because we're born in this world, it, we're certain to have trouble as the sparks fly upward. That's exactly what Job was teaching us in Uh, in his book in chapter 5 and verse 7. So my question is, how can a loving God allow so much evil and suffering in the world? Everybody here has gone through something. Maybe you're going through it right now. And the question then needs to be asked, can he do something about it? Is he really all-powerful? And if he is, why doesn't he do something about it? And does God even care? Does God even know you? Does God even know where you are? Does God even know what you're going through? All of them valid questions. And who here has not suffered pain, either physical or mental or emotional or all of the above? Who here has not suffered loss due to illness or death? And if you haven't, you are among the very, very few. Who here has not endured evil or at least been aware of it? Epicurus said this, and I want you to listen. I can't repeat it two or three times because of time, but listen to this. Either God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or he can but doesn't want to, or he cannot and does not want to. So therefore, if he wants to but cannot, he is impotent. If he can abolish evil but does not want to, he is wicked. But if God both can and wants to abolish evil, then how come evil is in the world. And so again, I, I don't have any trite answers. I don't have any kind of a little word I can say, a sentence I can say, and it takes away all your hurt and all your pain and all your suffering and, and takes away all the evil of what's going on in not only in the, in the Middle East, but right here in our own country and maybe in our own neighborhoods, the incredible evil with drugs and alcohol and sex trafficking and, and murder and, and just all of the stuff that's going on. I don't mean to be trite about it. I don't mean to trivialize the suffering that you're going through. But my question has to be answered. If there is a loving, omnipotent God, why does he have a world where there is suffering and evil? And are these two things mutually exclusive? 
And I think the answer to that is they're mutually exclusive only if God is the one who does the evil. And I submit to you that God is not the one doing the evil. He is not the one responsible for evil and suffering. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is not the way God originally created it. Hurricanes are produced. They have devastating effects. We just saw last night and the night before damage to homes and churches and uh, people lost due to uh, earthquakes or mudslides or uh, whatever event has occurred. Volcanoes erupt in this world in which we live. Uh, Viruses and bacteria multiply and disease and accidents and catastrophes happen because we live in a fallen world, because God gave Adam the ability to make a choice. Now, if you want to ask me, why did God give Adam the ability to make a choice, knowing full well, because he's omniscient as well as omnipotent, that Adam would make a wrong choice? If you want to ask me that question, then I would ask you this. If you're married, do you want your husband or wife to tell you they love you because they really love you? Or do you want them to tell you they love you because they're programmed and they have a button and you push their button and they say, I love you. I love you. I love you. That wouldn't be the same. That would not be the same at all. And God for his own reasons, created us with an opportunity to make choices, good choices and bad choices, right choices and wrong choices. And because we're creating the image of God, we have that ability then to make choices. We're not mere robots doing as we were programmed. There are two major categories of what we would call evil today. There's moral evil and natural evil. Moral evil would be murder and theft and rape and war. Natural evil would be disasters, calamities, accidents. The worldwide flood of Genesis chapter 7 through 10 was a natural disaster, but it was not brought on by nothing. It was brought on by the innate sinfulness of mankind, therefore causing tectonic plates to shift and the earth to quake and mountain ranges to form and deep basins to form and life was lost. In fact, everyone on the earth was lost except for eight souls. And I didn't know this before the study, and I don't know the basis of how they figured this out, but according to NASA, the United States has the most dangerous weather patterns of any nation in the world. With 10,000 thunderstorms in a given year, 5,000 floods of various sizes, over 1,000 tornadoes, and numerous hurricanes every single year. Keeping that in mind, if that be the case, then why aren't we grateful and thankful there's not more suffering, grateful and thankful there are not more lives lost, than rather trying to blame God for the some, the few that were, relatively few, that are lost. Genesis 3.17, Adam said, or God said unto Adam, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree. Guys, he listened to his wife. I just want to point that out to you, okay? I just I feel led of God to say that. I may regret that later on, but right now, I feel, because he had hearkened unto the voice of his wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Listen, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow shalt thou eat of the day, all the days of thy life. 
There was a curse that was passed not just on Adam, not just on Eve, not just on the serpent, but on the very ground, on nature, what we would call nature itself, on creation itself. So much so that Paul said in Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain until now. It's, it's the same words in the Greek that a woman goes through in, in labor and delivering a child. The earth is delivering. The earth is in labor. It is groaning and travailing in pain. This wasn't the result of God's original creation in Genesis 1.10 when he created the earth, the dry land, and the gathering together of the waters called the seas, and God saw it was good. And that word good means what you think it would mean. It's pleasant, it's agreeable, it's, it's excellent, it's valuable, it's right, it's the way it should be. It's the way that an almighty God would create something perfect. But something happened, and that was the fall into sin we talked about a week ago. And one day, all things will be made right again. Revelation 21, 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither any more pain. Why? Because the former things, the curse of the former days will be passed away. And by the way, lest you think bad things only happen to bad people. Matthew 5, 45, Jesus said, he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to good people as well as to bad people. So there are five options in coming to grips with the idea and the concept of evil and suffering. And I just give them to you quickly. Atheism is one option. There is no God. Whatever happens, happens. And and it's just this is the way it is, and that, that's life, and the circle of life includes death, and death when you're through, you, you, you become, uh, as one of my friends, one of my high school buddies says, you become stardust, and you just float around the universe for the rest of eternity or whatever until the sun burns up, and then I'm not sure what happens to you. That's atheism. No, thank you. There's dualism. Dualism is the idea and the concept that God and evil are one and the same. They're yin and yang, kind of... Uh, two sides of the same coin. Thirdly, there's illusionism. There is no, really, no such thing really as good and bad. It's all an illusion. And I don't know why, but that reminds me of Christian scientists, Dan, which are neither one. Christian scientists are kind of like grape nuts. They're neither grapes nor nuts. Christian science is, it, 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 there is no pain. I used to have a college professor who says if you take, if you grab the collar of, the, of any Christian scientist and, 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 the, and the seat of his britches and run them into a brick wall, he's going to discover there is, in fact, pain. And there is pain and suffering in this world. So, so the illusion is, if you believe that, there's really no such thing. The fourth thing is a finite godism. Perhaps God would like to get rid of evil and suffering, but he's finite, he's limited, and he's not able to. And the fifth option here, the fifth philosophy is Trinitarian monotheism. The Trinity, the idea of God at three in one, but there's only one God. God is. He is good. He is all-powerful. And though evil and suffering now exist, one day he will put an end to it. And there's purpose in it now. A great evangelist, Southern Baptist evangelist, Vance Havner, once said, Adam and Eve bit the apple and our teeth still ache. But, of course, it wasn't an apple. I want to point that out. And that is scriptural because Ezekiel 18.2 says, The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. There is a ripple effect of sin. 
and it touches all of us from time to time. There's not a person in here, starting right here, for sure, been touched by the ripple of sin too many times. And it, it covers all of us. It, it, it attacks all of us. Think of this. God not only allows suffering and pain and evil to exist, but he allowed that to be the means by which he secured our ultimate salvation. God himself, his son was rejected. His son was tortured. His son was persecuted. His son was killed for us. God allowed himself to be murdered by his own creation. The answer can't be atheism or that God is impotent because those are not the gods of the Bible. C.S. Lewis also said, I, I know that uh, Fitz gave us one of his quotes uh, last week, but he also said, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on his cell. If we securely place our hope in the fact that God is in control and that he will at least someday make everything right, I think we're on the right path. Shall not God judge all of the earth, Abraham said. So with that, I give you these purposes. I just mentioned them. I'm not going to go into detail, so you'll need to go online and listen to it. If you want to hear it later on, you'll get the first references. But in your notes, I wanted to put down these things. And one of the things Charles Spurgeon said is there's no learning sympathy without suffering. It cannot be studied from a book. It must be written on the heart. You must go through fire if you would have sympathy for others who tread glowing coals. You must yourself bear the cross if you would feel for those whose life is a burden to them. Charles Spurgeon. C.S. Lewis, Lewis, the quote that, uh, that Fitz gave us last week, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts out in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. A good preacher friend of mine, H. Frank Collins, used to say, God cannot use a person, a man, until he's led him through his own Gethsemane. Just as Jesus went through Gethsemane and was broken there in that garden, and God used him greatly. 20 reasons why God allows suffering in the world. There probably are many more. There probably are better ones, but here they are. First of all, suffering uncovers what is really inside our hearts. It refines us. It gets rid of the dross. When they, when they mine silver or gold, they find it in ore, and, they, and it's, maybe you've been to Julian, to the gold mine. It's a fascinating uh, study. If you never have done that, I recommend it. Kids would love it. But you go there, and you find out they would take the ore out. They would crush the ore, this incredible machine. They would rinse out and wash out the impurities. And, and then they would take uh, those nuggets, and they would, they would melt them down. And, and in melting them down, then the gold would separate, and the dross would rise to the top, and they skim off the dross, everything that's not gold, or if it's silver, everything that's not silver, and they get rid of it and refine the gold or refined silver, has the impurities taken out of it. And ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the reasons that we have suffering is to refine us, is to purify us. The Basic Youth Conflict Seminar used to talk about uh, God uh, finding us as a diamond in the rough. And, and a diamond in the rough is not a beautiful thing. It's not something you would want to put on your, uh, on your ring finger, ladies. A diamond in the rough is just a, uh, it's a, it's a chunky, uh, uh, multifaceted, multi-sided, not, to, not, not faceted uh, chunk of rock. But when it's cut by an expert who knows what he's doing, it's turned into a beautiful gem that reflects incredible light and rainbow colors in every direction. 
And so it is God is working on you, and God is working on me. And one of the tools that he allows to be effective in our lives is suffering. Proverbs 25, 4 says, Remove the impurities from silver, and the sterling will be ready for the silversmith. And God's removing impurities from your life and mine. Secondly, suffering breaks us of our pride. We realize that we're not in charge. We realize, Hope, that we're, it's not about us. It's about God. We are the center of our worlds. We've been taught that by society. In some cases, we've been taught that by our own parents, that we are the center of the whole universe, but suffering breaks us of that pride. We realize that, that someone else needs to be at the center. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul, a great evangelist, an incredible evangelist who started an incredible number of churches who wrote most of the New Testament through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, and lest I should be exalted above measure lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So God sometimes allows suffering to be in our lives to bring us down to realize who's really in charge. Thirdly, suffering can deepen our desire for God. We must have him if we're to have peace in the storm. That Lifting of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. One of my favorite references, one of my favorite verses. Perfect love, complete love casts out fear. And I don't know what suffering you're going through. I don't know what problem it is you're going through, Gary. It may be physical. It may be emotional. It may be spiritual. It may be, I don't know what, maybe family situations and pressures and problems that you're going through. But I want you to know something, that when you, when, when you go through that and you realize you don't have the fix, you don't have the answer, you can't just make things right by yourself. You have to depend upon an Almighty God who loves you and gave His Son to die on the cross for your sins. And if you're going to have peace in the storm, it's going to be because you put your confidence in him. Peter said, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, he will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Number four, suffering can mature us. We grow to accept whatever he allows without complaint. We grow Early on in my own Christian walk, things used to bother me. Things used to um, make me wonder and question. And, and, and I'm going to tell you the truth. So those things don't bother me anymore. You, you can't bring a Bible question to me that I You can bring lots of them that I can't give you the answer to, but they don't shake my faith one iota, not one bit. I don't know at all. I, I know very little. The longer I live, the more I realize I don't know you got to ask a freshman in Bible college for the really hard stuff because they know everything. But I don't know. <laughs> but the fact is that God, through these last 70 years, has built that faith in my life to the point that I know he's there. I know he's real. I know he loves me. And I know that whatever he allows to happen, it may not be in his perfect direct will that he wanted, but it's in his permissive will at the very least. And when God will use it whatever glory he has, whatever purpose he has, so that he can get the glory. He will mature us. Each time that Paul prayed about this thorn, God, please remove this from me. God's response was, my grace is sufficient. My power works best in weakness. So Paul concluded, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. 
Do we glory in our weaknesses? Do we boast in our weaknesses, migraines or whatever else? Do we, do we somehow give the praise and the honor and the glory to God even through that, realizing that that in itself is, is not something that God somehow is shaking his head and saying, I didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, my goodness, I, I don't know about that. He knows about everything. Suffering can breed humility. Just as our pride is crushed, humility takes its place. Hebrews 12.10, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. He corrects us and sometimes he uses things that bring suffering to our lives to make us obedient children to him. Number six, suffering may be a warning of something potentially worse. I have a, a preacher friend I've known for 40-some uh, years, I guess, uh, in Texas, and, uh, and he, he had an indicator that he had some prostate cancer, so he went in for a checkup, and Jerry Thorpe is the guy's name. So he, he went in uh, for a checkup, and when, he, when they did the MRI, they found out he had a tumor on his kidney, on one of his kidneys, and that that was the, the, the prostate cancer was no big deal uh, by comparison, but this kidney had to be, and they took the kidney out last Friday, but they wouldn't have known about the bigger issue if it weren't for the lesser issue. So suffering can be a warning of something potentially worse. Number seven, suffering can jumpstart our prayer life. You better believe it. Things, sometimes we get a lax in our prayers. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes things get too busy, and God has a way of putting us sometimes flat on our back or allowing us to be flat on our back so that we only can look up. James 5, 15, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise them up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Suffering, number eight, can prompt a lost person to receive Christ. Some of these Syrians going through the, the horrible things that they're going through, maybe God will use those very things to bring them to a point of serious need in their life, a serious spiritual need, to where they realize that, that their faith system is not meeting that need and giving them no hope, but that in, by way of contrast, Jesus Christ promises them uh, eternity in heaven and a more abundant life on this earth. Number nine, suffering may lead a Christian to confess sin. Sometimes it's discipline. David in Psalm 51, 2 and 3 says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And that was after he had gone through all kinds of chastisement, after great personal suffering that he went through. Number 10, suffering helps us deepen our trust in God. He is our only real help. His grace is sufficient. Number 11, suffering can deepen our appreciation for Scripture. This word, this Bible gives us comfort. Hope found a verse that she was able to cling to. I have many times, many times... I can't tell you the number of times, and that's why I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that uh, God's incidences occur, but not coincidences. And, and something I'm going through in my life, and, and all of a sudden there's a verse that I've read maybe a dozen times or a hundred times before, and all of a sudden it leaps off the page and attaches itself to my, my gray matter, and it makes a difference. It makes a difference. The Word of God becomes more precious. Suffering, number 12, can help us appreciate other Christians who are victorious. They inspire us. Number 13, it can help us take our eyes off the world and off ourselves and cause us to focus on eternity. When I first came here almost two years ago, I was an interim pastor. And I gave a, I, I, the Southern Baptist had a preacher's 
conference, and, and uh, Mike Carly asked me to, if I would speak about, because I'd pastored 41 years in the church, and to talk to the guys about all that. So I had the opportunity to do that. And when I told them I was an interim pastor, I said, you know what? All of us are interim pastors. It may be for six months, it may be a year, it may be for 41 years, but we're all, it's all going to come to an end at some point. And life is like that, folks. Suffering can help us take our eyes off the world and ourselves and focus on eternity. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Number 14, suffering can help us and teach us firsthand that God truly is sufficient. Number 15, suffering can connect us with other people. We, we become a comfort to those who experience suffering and evil and pain. And, and Paul said it so beautifully. He says, uh, the God of all comfort came to him who comforts us in our tribulation. Why? That we might be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it's for your consolation and, and salvation. So God allows, you know, what goes around comes around. And when you receive the, the comfort that God only can give and the encouragement God can give in the midst of trouble, you can then pass it off to others. Number 16, suffering can create an opportunity for witness. Look what God has done. That's what I'm praying for, Gary. Look what God has done. The almighty God who we serve, who we love, he is the great physician. He is, he is able to do anything and everything. We need to give him praise when he does. Number 17, suffering can lead a person to Christian ministry. And I don't have time. I'm going to give a little testimony. But when God called me into ministry, I was in, another, in a university. I was in a secular university studying a whole different field of study. Had my plans, had my goals, had my desires. and They didn't necessarily include Christ. And God did some things in my life, and I knew I knew that I needed to make a change, and thank God he allowed me to do that. Number 18, suffering can make us grateful for what we have or still have. I think of my buddy Tim Lee, who lost both of his legs in Vietnam, both of them, and one stepping on a mine and almost died. And I can't remember how many surgeries he had, and I think to myself, the suffering that he endured. And then just a few weeks ago, his granddaughter was killed in a tragic accident. Another granddaughter with her almost died but she's recovered, thank the Lord. And, and the suffering uh, makes him so grateful for what he had and what he, uh, what he still has and that that one granddaughter didn't die. By the way, I think I already told you this, but one time he was preaching. He goes, he goes everywhere preaching every year. And, and someone uh, was going through and shaking his hand and talking to him and said, uh, Brother Tim Lee, I, I bet you're so excited that when you get to heaven one of these days, you're going to have a solid gold wheelchair. He said, man, are you nuts? My legs are already there. They're just waiting for me. <laughs> Suffering also can position our lives to bring more glory to God in spite of the adversary that we go through, in spite of the troubles, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. Did you get that? That I may know him, that I may, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. We are to take up our cross daily. By the way, a cross in Jesus' day was not a piece of jewelry. A cross was a place of torment, an instrument of capital punishment. And we're to take up our cross daily and follow him. Last of all, 20th reason, suffering properly handled will result in rewards in heaven 
for eternity. And I've got about six or eight scriptures, and I'm not going to read them all because I'm losing some of you right now. <laughs> Let me just conclude with this. God is not finished with us yet. He's still working on us. Sometimes it's actively working, things that he does through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's allowing things to happen so that he can come in and, and pick up the pieces when we finally realize that our ultimate need is more of him. One day, Christian, one day, wipe away all tears. Everything will be perfect. No tumors, no migraines, no loss of loved ones, no more visits to the cemetery, no more going to the hospital, no more hearing the bad reports from the doctor. My good preacher friend, Tony Folio, had his 19th stint put in the other day. 19 stints. He, he, he doesn't have any arteries anymore. <laughs> he just has tubing, plastic tubing going to his heart. None of that one of these days. We ask for strength that we might achieve. We are made weak that we might obey. We ask for health that we may do greater things. We are given infirmity that we may do things better. We ask for power that we may win the praise of men. We are given weakness that we may feel our need of God. We ask for things that we may enjoy life. We are given life that we may enjoy all things. Would you pray with me? I don't know, Lord, if... I've ever felt more inadequate in preaching a message than this one because sitting before me are people who've lost so much and people who are enduring so much and going through so much. But God, I pray that something in your word would resonate within their hearts, would give them hope for a tomorrow where there'll be no more weeping, a hope for a tomorrow where there'll be no more nightmares, no more waking up realizing that what, what happened is, is fresh and new again all over for another day. No fear someday. No anxiety someday. No tormented mind someday. No need for doctors. No need for counseling. No need for any of that because we'll be with you forevermore. So, Father, I pray that there are those here this morning who do not know you as their personal Savior, that today would be the day when they turn to you. With every head bowed, if you're that person right now, you're not sure if you died, you'd be in heaven tonight. You could know Christ as your Lord and Savior by receiving him as your master and your God. And you can do that by simple faith, putting your faith in him. Would you pray right now, every head's bowed, every eye closed, would you pray, if you've never done this, saying, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm going to stand before you someday. I believe that Jesus is your son, and he died on the cross, and he was buried. And by faith, I believe that he rose again. And this morning, Lord, I want to come before you and humble myself before you and say, even though I'm a sinner, would you forgive me of my sins and be my Savior and my God as best I know how. I trust you right now for everlasting life. With every head still bowed, if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it with all your heart, would you lift your hand up and hold it up for just a moment? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I meant it with all my heart. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? I just prayed that prayer, Preacher, and I meant it with all my heart.